Good morning. Welcome. Certainly want to welcome our guests and our visitors. It's a, a privilege to be able to, uh, to gather with you this morning. Um, after our service this morning, we will have a brief time of, uh, of fellowship in the fellowship hall with some coffee and cookies, and we encourage you to join us so that we can get to know you a bit better. A few announcements before we begin. Uh, we're blessed to have a, the baptism of Isla this morning, so we, we certainly rejoice in that and welcome the members of the Viersen family as well. And um, During our Sunday school hour, um, there's going to be a slight change. There's an announcement in the bulletin that points out uh, the group, Come Over and Help. It's a reformed group that, that assists churches in Eastern Europe and has for quite some time with education, with diaconal needs, and with a variety of other things. And they've been um, kind of kicking it into overdrive lately with the war in Ukraine, um, providing aid to and through the churches of Ukraine and the surrounding nations. And, uh, of course, that's taken a lot of resources. So they're having a presentation this morning at 11.15 at Bethany, which is a bit of a drive. So we're broadcasting the live stream here for those who would like to uh, learn more about that. That's going to happen in here at 11.15. So um, in order to do that, we're going to ask, the, or we're going to have the Sunday school singing and, and opening exercises in the fellowship hall. So we'll set up some chairs over there for that. Um, and then just would encourage you to look at the rest of the announcements. In particular, note that the young people will be having a, a dinner and a pie auction on Friday. So I encourage you to join us for that. But right now we have the privilege of worship. So that we might do so in a way that's pleasing to God and glorifying to Him. Let's join our hearts together and ask for God's blessing. And then at the conclusion of that, we'll pray together. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you have called us to set aside all of the hurriedness, all of the weighty concerns that fill our days, so that we might focus our hearts upon you and rest in you. We pray that you would bless our time here this morning and the whole of this day, that through it we might bring you the glory that you deserve. Provide what each heart here needs, Lord, that we might be drawn close to you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. <clears throat> the Lord calls us to worship this morning with these words from Psalm 98. 
The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Beloved, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Hear now His greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing praise together to the Lord from number 190. Number 190, we'll sing all the stanzas. having gathered us, having freed us from our slavery to sin and to Satan and to death. He speaks to us as He spoke to Israel after delivering them from their slavery in Egypt. And He calls us to live a life that is devoted wholeheartedly to Him. He says in 
Deuteronomy 5, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now that law is designed to lead us into freedom. Freedom from the sins that once enslaved us. Freedom from the sins that crush us and that keep us separated from God. But you know what? We, we can't do that by our strength. Only God can free us from our sin. Only God can keep us in a, a life that does not devolve back into those sins that once enslaved us. And He does that through His Son Jesus, whom He sent to be our shepherd. In John 10, Jesus says, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what Jesus did for us. For all who would trust in him, he laid down his life that we might have true life. He protects us from those who would re-enslave us, from those who would devour us, from those who would destroy us. But our calling is to follow after the shepherd, to hear his voice and heed. That means believing that his commands are good. That means following him in, in the way to good pasture, even when the, the path looks hard. And when we can't see that good pasture that he's promised us. We trust Him by faith.
And that's something that, that we're called to do from our earliest days. And some, some folks, the Lord leads to Himself. He draws into His pasture late in life. And others, He draws them from their earliest moments, being born into believing homes, like lambs born in the midst of the flock. And like lambs born in the midst of the flock, they bear the mark of their shepherd from the start. We call that baptism. This morning we have the privilege of of witnessing the baptism of Isla Camille. Uh, As we prepare to do so, I'd like to read with you just a, a brief explanation of what baptism is, what it signifies to us, before I ask Richard and Danny to come forward. This is on page 9 in your Forms and Prayers book, if you grab one of them. If not, um, just listen along, it's fine. Dear congregation of our Lord, what the Lord has revealed to us in His Word about holy baptism can be summarized in this way. First, baptism teaches that we and our children are conceived and born in sin. This means that we are by nature children of wrath. And for that reason cannot be members of Christ's kingdom unless we are born again. Baptism, whether by immersion or sprinkling, teaches that sin has made us so impure that we must undergo a cleansing which only God can accomplish. By this we are admonished to detest ourselves, to humble ourselves before God, and to turn to Him for our cleansing and our salvation. Second, Baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. For this reason we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of God the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that He makes an eternal covenant of grace with us and adopts us as His children and heirs. And therefore, He promises to provide us with everything good and to protect us from all evil or to turn it to our prophet. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son seals to us that He washes us in His blood from all our sins. Christ unites us to Himself so that we share in His death and resurrection. Through this union with Christ, we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. And when we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this holy sacrament that He will make His home within us and will sanctify us as members of Christ. He will impart to us what we have in Christ, namely, the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives. As a result of His work within us, we shall finally be presented without the stain of sin among the assembly of the elect in life eternal. Third, the covenant of grace contains both promises and obligations. Having considered the promises, We now consider the obligations. Through baptism, God calls us and places us under obligation to live in new obedience to Him. This means that we must cling to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We must trust in Him and love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We must renounce the sinful way of life. We must put to death our old nature and show by our lives that we belong to God. If we through weakness should fall into sin, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor use our weakness as an excuse to keep on sinning. Baptism is a seal and a totally reliable witness that we have an eternal covenant with God. 
Our children should not be excluded from baptism because of their inability to understand its meaning. Just as without their knowledge they share in Adam's condemnation, so they are without their knowledge received to grace in Christ. God's gracious attitude toward us and our children is revealed in what he said to Abraham, the father of all believers. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their, their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. The apostle Peter also testifies to this with these words, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Therefore, God formerly commanded that children be circumcised as a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness that comes by faith. Christ also recognized that children are members of the covenant people when he embraced them, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Since baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign and seal of the covenant, our children should be baptized as heirs of God's kingdom and of his covenant. And as children grow up, their parents are responsible for teaching them the meaning of baptism. Now, in order that we may now administer this holy sacrament of God to His glory, for our comfort, and for the edification of the church, let us call on His name. Let's pray. Almighty and eternal God, long ago, You severely punished an unbelieving and unrepentant world in holy judgment by sending a flood. But in your great mercy, you saved and protected believing Noah and his family. You also drowned obstinate Pharaoh and his whole army in the Red Sea, and you brought your people Israel through the sea on dry ground. In these acts, you revealed the meaning of baptism and the mercies of your covenant in saving your people, who of themselves deserved your condemnation. We therefore pray that in your infinite mercy, you will graciously look upon this, your child, and bring her into union with your Son, Jesus Christ, through your Holy Spirit. May she be buried with Christ into death and be raised with Him to walk in newness of life. We pray that she may follow Christ day by day, may joyfully bear, his, bear her cross, and may cling to Christ in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. Confirm her in your grace so that when she leaves this life and its constant struggle against the power of sin, she may appear before the judgment seat of Christ, your Son, without fear. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the one and only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Richard and Danny, would you please come forward? We're going to wake her up. <laughs> what a blessing it is to be able to witness the, uh, this beautiful act that displays the gospel so powerfully to us. You know, it displays the gospel powerfully no matter who is receiving baptism. But I think particularly when it's a child who is so unassuming and doesn't yet understand. And I think, you know... That's Ephesians 2, isn't it? You know, when we were dead in our sin, we had no idea. All we, all we knew was that we hated God and we hated man. And God began to work within us. 
even through our ignorance, even in the midst of our, our rebellion. He draws us, and then we respond. And baptism shows us that. And what a comfort it is when we understand how, how slow we are to learn. huh? Beloved in Christ the Lord, as you have now heard, baptism is given to us by God to seal His covenant to us and to our children. We must therefore use the sacrament for the purpose that God intended and not out of superstition or mere custom. That it may be clear that you are doing what God commands, you are to answer the following three questions sincerely. First, do you acknowledge that our children who are conceived and born in sin and are, the su are, are subject to the misery that sin brings, even the condemnation of God, are sanctified in Christ, and so as members of His church ought to be baptized? Second, do you acknowledge that the teaching of the Old and New Testaments summarized in the Apostles' Creed and taught in this Christian church is the true and complete doctrine of salvation. And third, do you promise to do all that you can to teach this child and to have her taught this doctrine of salvation? Richard and Danny, what is your answer? Isla Camille, right? Better to confirm. Isla Camille, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord oh, may the Lord bring about the reality of that which He has signified in the sacrament, and may He make it your delight daily to live for Him. Now you guys have witnessed this, right? Lewis, and Emma, and Case. Isla won't remember this day, but you will. And that means you get to tell her, you get to remind her that God set the sign and seal of belonging to Him on her. Isn't that wonderful? And so we get to build each other up and remind each other of the truth. Amen. I invite you guys to head back down. We'll pray for you. And then after the service, if you could join me in the back, and I'm sure a lot of folks will want to wish their best. It truly is a blessing. That God calls us to Himself when we don't know any better. When in fact, the inclination of our heart is exactly the opposite of what it should be. But we play a role in that too. As part of the church, we play a role in nurturing each of these children because they're part of the flock to which we belong. And so our baptismal form, I think appropriately, concludes this sacrament by asking us to affirm our role. Do you, the people of the Lord, promise to receive this child in love, to pray for her, to help care for her instruction in the faith, and to encourage and sustain her in the fellowship of believers? What is your answer? We do, God helping us. Amen. We're going to pray for Isla and, frankly, for all of our children. Um, in addition, um, we're going to pray for the other needs of the congregation. Um, please keep in prayer the, the Crosby family as they um, mourn Austin's passing. There was a service yesterday, um, and I believe there will be later this week uh, as well. And uh, 
as well as the, along with the Crosby family, um, Austin's fiance Chrislyn and uh, her, his son Austin Jr. and uh, his mother Stephanie. Um, also, we noted this week that Bruce Smith had a recent diagnosis that um, they think is pancreatic cancer. They're still trying to confirm that, but that seems the most likely um, outcome. So please keep Bruce and Linda in your prayers. With that, let's come before the Lord. Almighty God and merciful Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. You receive us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son, and so adopt us as your children. You seal and confirm this to us by holy baptism. We earnestly pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern Isla by your Holy Spirit. May she be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness. And may she grow and develop in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that she may see your fatherly goodness and mercy which you have shown to her and to us all. May she live in all righteousness under our only teacher, king and high priest, Jesus Christ. Give her the courage to fight against and overcome sin, the devil and his whole dominion. And may she forever praise and magnify you and your son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God. Father, we pray that you would nurture all of our children and that you would enable and impassion each one of us who are older, who have turned to Christ, to discipline and disciple and nurture and nourish each one of our children, encouraging them to remember the rich blessing that they have in having received the sign and seal of your favor. Grant that none of our children, none of our young people, indeed none of us at all, might take lightly the blessing that you have promised us. And so reject that blessing through unbelief. But work in our hearts that day by day we might be drawn closer to you and our assurance of what Christ has done might grow deeper and deeper. And Lord, We pray that in our times of need, you would remind us of your sovereign care and your fatherly goodness. We pray for Bruce and Linda as Bruce awaits the results of the most recent tests and ponders what this might mean in terms of his treatment, in terms of Linda's continued uh, recovery and medical treatments. Lord, we pray that you would provide the comfort and the peace that they need and that you would give wisdom to the doctors and the medical teams. And Lord, we pray that that you would make the, the comfort of your presence and of your promises powerfully known to them. We pray for other members of our congregation who are suffering with long-term illnesses and ailments. We think of Dan and Jamie, who are both receiving treatments for cancer. We think of um, members who have long-term pain and various struggles with the body. Lord, we pray that you would provide for them. We pray for those who grieve. 
Lord, it's so hard for us to lose loved ones to death. But it's made more tolerable by the knowledge that your son overcame death in his death and resurrection. We pray that you would comfort Jim and Tiffany and their family as they grieve Austin's death. We pray for you to comfort Chrislyn and Stephanie and Austin Jr. and the rest of the family, uh, the, the broader family into which Austin was adopted. We pray that you would comfort them and that you would, through this time, strengthen their faith in you and their joy in your salvation. Lord, we pray for our members who are um, expecting children, that you would bless those children within, those who are in the process of adoption, that you would allow the process to go smoothly, those preparing for marriage, that you would prepare them to be knit together by your Spirit, those who are struggling in various ways, Lord, with, with temptations, with doubt and unbelief. Lord, we pray that You would provide as only You are able. That You would raise up those who are brought low. That You would encourage those who can't see the light. We ask that You would watch over those who are doing some traveling for spring break. And for our children who are enjoying that break, we ask that You would not just refresh them, but give them opportunities to grow. Lord, we ask that You would watch over Your church this day in every place where it gathers, whether in places of freedom and peace, such as we have here, or in places where society has been torn apart by war, like in Ukraine, or where worshiping Christ is forbidden, such as in China and, and in the Middle East. Lord, we pray that You would provide for Your people in each place, that You would allow Your Word to be proclaimed with faithfulness and boldness, and that You, boldness, and that you would cause Your people to rise up and call You blessed, and to proclaim their confidence in You who have overcome death and all our enemies, and have given us the assurance of eternal life. Father, You have done this, and You alone. So enable us and your people everywhere to acknowledge you as the one source of our hope and our life. And Father, we pray that in all of this day, in our resting, in our fellowship, in the worship with which we close the day, we pray that you would enable us to bring you the glory that you deserve. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot a song. We're going to sing together a song that a song that really asks the Lord, it serves as another prayer, that asks the Lord to watch over our children. You know, if you are a parent, you know that one of the hardest parts of being a parent is that we can't make the hearts of our children do what we believe they need to do. Only God can do that. And so really, we're, we entrust them to Him. So let's stand together and sing number 416. Number 416, Our Children, Lord, in Faith and Prayer.
I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Last week we started to look at this song of the suffering servant. As we're coming close to Easter, as we're thinking about Jesus' suffering on our behalf, we're going to look at, uh, at the various parts of this song God has given us concerning uh, His suffering servant and how His suffering and the victory that followed it Avails for us. So we're going to look at verses 4 through 6, but let's start at the beginning of the chapter. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, yet we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. Beloved brothers and sisters of our Lord, selflessness is not a quality that our culture produces with great abundance. I mean, just look at our news headlines. Obviously, there's the war in Ukraine. Of course, there's a whole host of nuance required to understand the background that led to that war. But at the end of the day, it's driven by greed, isn't it? Greed for the resources found within Ukraine. Greed for the profits and the power that those resources could bring. And that greed doesn't exist just on one side of the equation either. I mean, the, the desire for access to those resources is certainly a big part of the motivation that's driven... Ukraine's allies to defend them. Meanwhile, back here in the States, we have an economy in freefall. And why is that? In large part, it's because of the mismanagement of resources led by those who have greed, particularly among our governor, governing, governing class. Even our nation's greatest sin, abortion, really comes down to a refusal to be selfless. So great is our nation's greed that we're unwilling to sacrifice for the most vulnerable members of society. Rather than accept 
the weighty responsibility of caring for a child, albeit one perhaps unexpected, we would prefer to end that child's life rather than allow ourselves to be inconvenienced. Selfishness. That's what comes natural. It's mine. I want it. Give it to me. We hear those words from our own children. And we know that that's what comes naturally from the sinful heart. Which is why we cannot shake our heads in self-righteous scorn when we read those headlines, when we look at those analyses of, of the current geopolitical mess. Because the greed that has driven that mess is the same greed, the same selfishness that rises up within our own hearts and those of our children. And that makes it all the more remarkable that God would bless us with such a selfless Savior. Our text this morning is part of a song about the servant whom God sent to save us. And in the section before us this morning, verses 4 through 6, the servant's selflessness really is what takes center stage. Here God's people sing of their selfless substitute. That's the theme I'd like to consider with you briefly this morning. Our, our selfless substitute. That's what we sing. And the first stanza of this part of our song, which we find in, page, or in verse 4, leads us to confess the servant as the one who accepted suffering for our sin. Now last time, in verses 1 through 3, we saw that this servant, who is Jesus, this servant would appear contemptuous in the eyes of men. They would despise and reject him. His life would be filled with scorn and suffering. But now we see the true nature of the sorrow and the grief to which verse 3 refers. The grief mentioned in verse 4, that's the same word, by the way, that we see in verse 3. It's a word that's connected with sickness and disease. It's the suffering that we endure as part of life in a fallen world. The, the grief that Jesus experienced was our grief. Now, of course, not all of us experience the illness and the disease of the body to the same extent. But to some extent, we all experience it, right? Not everyone experiences cancer or heart disease, but we all endure sicknesses. We all endure upset stomachs. We all have pulled muscles and injuries of various sorts. We all deal with that. For some, the griefs that we deal with are mental and emotional. We deal with depression, with anxiety, with those sorts of things. Sometimes it's lifelong. The kind of depression that lasts for years. For others, it's a, a sudden plunge into the darkness as we grieve the death of those whom we love or, or as we experience a tragedy that, that turns our world upside down. But we all experience those kinds of griefs. And Jesus, Jesus is the only one who didn't deserve that. Jesus is the only one who's, who didn't have sin that contributed to that grief. And yet he endured it all. He had the power to remove it. I mean, he showed that, right? He showed that by the way he removed the, the sickness, healed the brokenness of people. But when it came to that which he endured, he drank the cup down to the bottom. And likewise, the sorrows that he carried, pain, agony, suffering, both physical and spiritual, Jesus endured all of it. Sin is disobedience to God's commands. And as our youngest children know, disobedience hurts. Right, guys? 
That's the lesson, that's the, the chief lesson you learn from getting a spanking. Disobedience hurts, whether it's disobedience to your parents or disobedience to God. Now Jesus never disobeyed. And yet He knew the weight of that sorrow. He knew the weight of that hurt that was brought about by sin. Because He took what we deserved. And yet God's people refused to see it. When Jesus was, was teaching, when He was demonstrating His power, they loved it. They gathered in great crowds. They, they loved it when they received food from His hands. When their loved ones were healed by His power, they thought that was wonderful. But then He went farther than they were willing to go. When He started criticizing the critics, telling people it wasn't enough, to tithe their spices and to keep the Sabbath day, pointing out the skeletons in the closet of those men who held the stones. Then they started plotting his downfall. Started strategizing how they would get rid of this meddlesome troublemaker. They, they were fine seeing the power of God in their midst. They were not fine hearing that they deserved to suffer that they deserved to be brought low, that the grief that he was bearing was the grief that they had earned. Then they wanted him ended. And it wasn't just they, it was us. Because we in our sin would have joined our voices with theirs. And that's why we must confess with Isaiah, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. In the heart of the old man, we were willing to join them in judging Jesus. We too would have regarded him as rightly struck down, as one who should be removed from the scene. Nor would we have been willing to consider in the darkness of our sin that he endured that suffering for us. Not until the servant commanded us to see, not until he worked in our hearts to show us that we did deserve it. That we were the ones who earned this price. It wasn't until He began transforming us that we were willing to acknowledge that what He took was what we had earned. You see, this is part of Christianity, above all others, which the sin-enslaved man detests. We don't want someone else to do it for us. That would imply that we're unable. That would imply that we're too weak, we're too helpless, we're too pitiable. And we certainly don't want to imply that. But the thing is, we are. Men want to believe that we can fix whatever the problem is, that we can provide for ourselves, but that's a lie. It's foolish pride in sin that says, I can do it. But the reality is that we can't. The weight of our sin, the griefs and the sorrows that we have earned would utterly crush and destroy us. Our only hope lies in confessing openly and honestly that Jesus' suffering did it for us. This is the message that we must embrace and proclaim. This is the message we need to teach young Isla because this is the faith that saves us. God's servant Jesus accepted the suffering for our sin. That's how He provided the cleansing that baptism displays. That's how He rescues us out of the darkness and brings us into the light. Jesus accepted the suffering that we deserve. And that's the only way we could accept or we could receive the freedom for which we long. Isaiah makes that explicit in verse 5. There we see how God's suffering servant endured destruction for our deliverance. 
And verse 5 shows us that, first by emphasizing what our sin caused Jesus to endure, but then by showing what his endurance obtained for us. In the first half of verse 5, we find two causal statements. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was beaten. He was broken. He was pierced through. And what caused his deep injury was our transgressions. That word implies going past a set boundary. The boundary is God's law. God described the boundaries of how we should behave, how we should live by His law for our good. If we do what God has commanded us not to do, we'll hurt ourselves. Right? We will destroy ourselves. You know, young people, sometimes you come on a sign that says, no admittance, danger. Right? That sign isn't intended to limit your freedom. It's intended to prevent you from harm. That's why it's got all the red and all the exclamation points and the big danger. Don't go in there. High voltage. Danger, right? That's what God's law is meant to do for us, and yet we transgress it. We go beyond it time and time and time again. And therefore, somebody had to suffer the consequence. Either us or a substitute who came on our behalf, and that's why Jesus came. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed. He was Broken like the bread of the Lord's Supper is, is broken and torn apart. And the reason lay in our iniquities. That word has a different significance. Rather than, than talking about going beyond the boundaries, it emphasizes, iniquities emphasizes the guilt of sin. Our God is just. He can't overlook those who rebel against Him, who refuse to acknowledge Him as the King. That's why Jesus' suffering was so immense. It wasn't just because the Romans were cruel and tended to take things to the nth degree. It wasn't because Jesus lived and died in a barbaric age. No, the suffering He endured was immense because we transgressed the justice of God and He took the entirety of the cost for that on His own shoulders. Jesus came to carry not just our sin, but the full weight of our sin's consequence. We had done evil in God's sight. We deserved complete destruction of body and of soul. And that would have destroyed us, would have obliterated us. Like standing on the train tracks in front of a speeding train. And Jesus shoves us out of the way and, and endures that impact all on, his, all on His own. And because He was selfless enough to do that, we have peace and healing. Verse 5 says, Upon Him was, our chasti was the chastisement that brought us peace. The punishment, the discipline that fulfilled justice and gave us peace. Sometimes we think we're at peace when we've simply ceased hostilities. The person who was offended by us remains offended. There's no reconciliation. We haven't worked through the issues. But because there's no active hostility, because the yelling has ceased, because there's no violence, we're like, whew, glad we have peace. You don't. True peace isn't just a ceasing of hostilities. True peace involves repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation and love. It involves rebuilding what has been broken. Think about the war in Ukraine. They won't have true peace when Russia simply stops shelling them, 
when the bullets simply stop flying. No. First, somebody's going to have to come in there and dig up all the landmines that have been buried. And somebody's going to have to dispose of all the unexposed, unexploded ordnance. And somebody's going to have to rebuild all the infrastructure that was destroyed and resettle all of those who have been scattered into a multitude of countries. Peace isn't just the, the ceasing of hostility, it's the rebuilding of what sin has destroyed. That's what we need between us and God. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to restore us to the presence of God, to provide entrance for us into heaven, to give us the ability to speak to God directly, knowing that God will hear us, that God will listen, that God will care. The ability to enter into heaven at our death without fear, knowing that God will receive us as His beloved children, the debt of our sin having been paid. Nor is it just to give us peace so that we can get into heaven. With His wounds we are healed, says Isaiah. His wounds, which He received as the punishment for our sin, brings about physical and spiritual healing for us. We taste that today. We taste it. When God brings us healing from COVID or from cancer, or from a sprained ankle. That's a taste. Jesus does that. But it's just the smallest nibble. It's like when, when mom's making a Thanksgiving feast, and you sneak in the kitchen and you grab just a little piece of turkey, and she kind of smacks your hand. And you get that taste and it gets your mouth watering, and you can't wait for the fullness of the feast. Jesus has promised us that in the end, when He returns, there will be no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, no conflict at all. There will be none who hate God, none who rebel against Him, nor will there be temptations for us to rebel against Him, either external temptations urging us to turn away from the Lord, or internal ones where we desire within to turn from Him. He will remove all of those. Already now the victory has been won. We're just waiting for Him to display its fullness. We know the victory's been won because He gives us healing, because He gives us reconciliation, because He gives us those tastes. But He's already earned the fullness of it. Folks, this is a deed worthy of our celebration. All that makes life painful and cursed. Jesus has defeated it. The sickness, kids, that sometimes makes your belly, right? Or the conflict that we have between our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors. Or the struggle that we have fighting day by day by day against our sin and often failing. It's already been conquered. And one day soon we'll see that conquest in all its fullness. Isn't that amazing? In Jesus the servant... In principle, all, all has already been made whole and strong and complete. In Jesus the servant, in principle, the creation is on its way to being renewed and restored. In Jesus the servant, very soon we shall see the fullness of peace imposed. Peace between God and men and among men themselves. 
Peace between individuals and also among the nations. Peace between men and women and among the generations. Peace for now and peace eternally. And if we would partake of that peace, we must embrace Christ. That's what little Isla needs to hear. That's what we promised to disciple her in. The knowledge that yes, you have things that make you weep now. But that day of weeping will soon come to an end and we will know joy beyond anything this world has ever seen. The knowledge that yes, you struggle against sin right now, but Jesus has conquered that sin and very soon we will see the fullness of that conquest so that we will never again wrestle with temptation. The knowledge that yes, we weep at sad, sad things right now, at the loss of loved ones, at the pain, physical and emotional, that we endure. But very soon Christ will dry our tears and we will never again know need to weep. We need to teach her that. We need to teach each of our children that. We need to turn their eyes to what Jesus has done so that they may have con confidence in Him. And that each struggle, each moment of darkness, each raindrop that falls will turn their hearts to Him all the more fervently. And they need to know, we need to remember that we owe it all to Jesus, who as verse 6 shows us, served the sentence for our straying. That's our last point here. After all, that's the essence of our sin, the cause of our suffering. It's our straying. We have wandered from God. We've entered an exile of our own making. Verse 6 describes our situation. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. All. We. Have gone astray. Remember, this is a song written for Israel. Written for the church. We're not talking about those heathen out there, right? Oh, those terrible people out there. No, we're talking about us. God's people. The covenant people. The ones who've been baptized. The ones who've received the promises. We have strayed. Like sheep. A lot of folks who've dealt with livestock in this congregation, you know what sheep are like. I mean, they can make cows look smart. And that's saying something. They will wander off into that which would destroy them. And then watching their neighbor be destroyed, they'll wander off in the same way. That's why it's so essential that sheep have a shepherd. Without a shepherd, their life is short and violent and will end badly. Everything wants to eat them. Everything wants to destroy them. And they don't have the sense to stop it. And that's what we've done. We wander off into the sin that would destroy us. And even though we know it will destroy us, even though we know that the consequence is infinitely more than we can bear, we wander off right into it. Time and again and again and again. Think of Israel in the exile. God had given, him, given them His law, which would have led them more and more to Him, would have humbled them before the Lord and brought His blessing upon them. He gave them prophets to teach them. He gave them the law to show them. He gave them kings who were at least supposed to guide them in the way of godliness. And they ignored every one of them. They cast off all that was good and they chose that which was bad until they were cast off among the nations like whom they lived. And only there, after 70 years, when they, when they bowed themselves, humbled themselves before God and acknowledged their sin, only then did God restore them. 
And that's what we're guilty of. Think of, think of Judges. The story of Judges is the story of God's people, right? God delivers His people. We're going to talk about this a little tonight, Lord willing. God delivers His people. They know prosperity. They know peace. And then they start worshiping false gods. They stop worshiping the true God. They give themselves over to sin and destruction. And God gives them over to their enemies so that they can learn the consequence of their sin. And they suffer until finally they humble themselves and they ask for God's help and God draws them back, raises up a deliverer for them time and again. That's what we do. We and our generation have turned all of us to our own way. We have chosen which of God's commands we want to take seriously and which ones are just too inconvenient or too much. We've substituted empty words for the hard work of reconciliation. We've left God's name unglorified while sin goes unconfessed and unrebuked. We've preferred our preferences rather than God's commands. Our feelings rather than God's honor. We have done this. I have. So have you. Some have wandered actively. Others have passively allowed their neighbor to wander. And the Lord knew that we would because He knows the nature of our hearts. And what we deserve is what old Israel deserved and that is destruction. God is just and therefore rebellion against Him deserves destruction. But if we trust in Jesus, we won't be destroyed. Because He was destroyed for us. Why? Because the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. God the Father ordained it. Jesus willingly embraced it. The Holy Spirit equipped Him to do it. God determined this is the best way, the only way for my people to be delivered. The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. How can you hear that and doubt that God loves you? That God delights in His people? The Lord laid on Him what we had done and all its consequence. The Lord made Him pay the price for all the rebellion that we committed. We didn't deserve any of it. But He did it anyway. And because of that, folks, we have confidence. We have confidence that there's nothing left for us to do. We have confidence that there's nothing left for us to fear. He paid the whole price. He redeemed us all on His own. The only question is, how will you respond? Will you shrug? Eh, I could have done it myself. It's a lie. And it's a lie that will destroy you. Or will you respond by bowing before the selfless servant who did everything that you never could have done, who endured everything that would have destroyed you, and say, you're my Savior, you're my Shepherd, you're my King, and I love you. Will you respond? In the only way 
that will bring you life by confessing that your hope is in Him, your identity is in Him, your life is in Him. If that's your response, if that's your hope, if that's your joy, then you have assurance. Nothing else needs to be added. Nothing else can be added. You have life, you have reconciliation, you have peace with God. So now live like it. Sing His praise. Proclaim Him to your children and your grandchildren. If you have what this passage says you have in Christ, then you have the greatest gift, the greatest treasure that man has ever known. So tell Isla about it. Tell all of our children about it. Don't let them think that this is anything less than the greatest treasure that man has ever known. And start to show that selflessness that doesn't come natural. That selflessness that is so foreign to this world. Show the image of Christ that you were made to bear. Because this world is so selfish, so self-centered, so filled with greed, that if you show that Christ-likeness, that selfish selflessness, you'll stand out like a light in the midst of pitch black darkness. People will notice. And they'll want to know the reason for the hope within you. And then you get to tell them about this selfless servant who has done it all that we might be redeemed. Beloved, our Savior, our Shepherd laid down His life for the sheep. We, like sheep, had gone astray. But the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. May we then trust Him. May we then confess Him. May we then sing His praise now and every day that He might be praised. Amen. Beloved, let's pray. Father, you have given us the greatest gift we could ever have imagined and more. We thank you that you have provided so perfectly, so wonderfully, so abundantly for us. And we pray that in all of our struggles, in all of our woes, in all of our times of doubt and fear, that you would remind us of our selfless Savior and what he has done to deliver us. That we might stand with confidence before you knowing that He who gave us eternal life and reconciliation with our Father will not fail to give us all that we need every day. Father, we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, let's stand and acknowledge the significance of what Jesus had, has done by singing number 351. Ah, dearest Jesus, how hast thou offended? Number 351, all four stanzas.
Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us so perfectly what we need. Not just for eternal life, but also for this earthly life. We therefore worship you now through our tithes and our offerings. And we pray that you would receive that which we give as a confession of our confidence in you and our gratitude for your generosity. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Our offering song is number 46, and I'd point out we have a, a new doxology this morning, uh, which will be number 309, the first and fifth stanzas. Right now, number 46.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.